Welcome back to episode three of the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Julie. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. We've had quite a week trying to get outside to run, but it's, uh, and we've got more more snow coming. So it's, it's going. <clears throat> we are at January 17th, and uh, two days ago was the three month uh, prequel to the Boston Marathon. So we got our email from the BAA letting us know that we have exactly three months to go. And ironically, that was a day when there was still a ton of snow on the ground here in the DC area. And while we don't get a ton of snow compared to other parts of the United States, we certainly aren't great here in the DC area at shoveling and plowing said snow. So it's a big problem for runners. Yeah, we need to get the heated sidewalks that that they have in Michigan. There are heated sidewalks that actually clear themselves because that is one of the bigger problems here is getting the sidewalks cleared and and what real what happens is uh, refreeze. So things will sidewalks will clear and melt during the day, but then early next morning or at least until the temperature rises and the sun comes out, there are a lot of icy spots. So that's what's caused most of the challenges this week for us and for our runners is making sure that we're navigating carefully and safely the roads, even though we think they're clear. And uh, I know for myself, I've been running in the streets a lot in neighborhoods, so low traffic, so facing the traffic, but in the streets that have been cleared and treated because the sidewalks are touch and go. Have you encountered any black ice? Not too, I mean, there are spots. I can see it though. Since I get to run in daylight, typically, Mm. I can usually see it ahead of time. And I have had to reroute myself and detour many times due to impassable ice. So at least I can see it though. I know you run a lot of times before the sunrise and that's where it gets really tricky because you can't see it so much. That's correct. I've been running on the treadmill this week. I, although I really hate the treadmill, it is a necessary evil to winter training. So I try to embrace the suck because I, I wouldn't have been able to run at all this week. I do run before the sun comes up on most days and there, there is a lot of black ice, even in the streets, even when they're salted because of what you described. So I just joined um, this new gym that opened near our house, One Life, and they have a really nice set of treadmills there. So while I wasn't thrilled to be getting to know said treadmills all week, it was it was good. It was good to try out all the different brands. So I tried a true treadmill, I think a life fitness treadmill, and of course already I have my favorite. Do you, do you ever do that where you kind of you're can one tell. that you want? If somebody's on it, you're they're on your treadmill. Yeah, yes, you know the the speed is right. It's calibrated. You you just like it. The placement. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I yeah. Mean, what do you what, what what do you do to keep yourself occupied on the treadmill? Because that's a big challenge. I know I can't go very far on a treadmill because I get very bored. So what do you do? Okay, so I have a a lot of things. I I need to have a lot of things at the same time going on because if I just focus on my workout, I. I cannot just run the mile I'm in on the treadmill. I just think about getting off the treadmill. In fact, and it goes by so slowly, right? Yeah. yeah. Did you see the thing I put up on our Facebook page with the um, eight, how have you aged over the past ten years? Yes. And I put a picture when of us on the treadmill. Like the picture is, the if one. you want to check out our Facebook page, it's a picture of of us running and looking happy outside. And outside, <laughs> and then one hour later on the treadmill is two skeletons yeah. sitting because it really time does not pass quickly. However to answer your question. I have found podcasts to be super helpful. I watched 
Serena crush it this morning um, in the Australian Open. That was on because that's live. So um, that was on this morning around 5.30 when I was on the treadmill. And then um, the TVs are on, so I kind of look at them, but I'm more focused on podcasts. So this morning's podcast was actually, I, I just, it's, it's really great. It's Rich Roll, who, I don't know if you've listened to Rich Roll podcast, but he is just, he's kind of the original podcaster, but he has just the most motivating guests. And uh, I won't spoil it, but if you can check out the January 1st Rich Roll podcast, it's, it's really great. It's all about mental toughness and okay. not allowing things that happen to you necessarily to drive your future. And it, it, it is so good. So I highly recommend the Rich Roll podcast. And of course, while I was listening to it, I was thinking, why am I complaining about being on this dumb treadmill when I'm listening to this um, guest's very motivating story? So um, yeah. I'll add it to my list of podcasts because yeah. I also find podcasts to be very helpful if I have to run on the treadmill. And, and also, uh, even if you're doing an easy run, I like to vary the pace a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I may do a few minutes a little bit faster, maybe change the elevation a little bit because just setting it and forgetting it also can be boring. And we, we talk about this with our runners a lot that running on the treadmill can actually be a little bit easier than running outside because you're assisted by the moving belt. So, uh, so the, the paces don't always match up to the speed on the treadmill. And, and we notice that with our watches too, your, your Garmin will never match your Garmin's calculating your pace by actually by your arm swings and by your cadence. So it's, it doesn't know what, what speed you're running on the treadmill. So that makes it a little, a little bit tricky. So you really have to go by feel on the treadmill and, and adjust accordingly. And for me, varying it just a little bit even within a within an easy run makes the treadmill run more bearable. Oh, I totally agree. When I have an easy run on the treadmill, it's actually harder. Today I had a tempo workout. I did a, a couple of miles at LT pace because again, I have this half marathon next weekend. So this is sort of a tune-up. I did a warm-up of four and a half miles and then I did two miles at LT pace um, and then a little recovery and then did... Um, four times five minutes at faster paces just to get my legs going and get sort of simulate that feel of uh, tired legs at the end of a race. So I felt like such a badass when I got off because it went by pretty quickly, but it was a lot of miles. And you did it on the treadmill. I did. But then of course, this is my life. Like as I'm on the treadmill and trying to get it done, um, Noah, who's in high school, is calling me because I told him the night before that Darren's out of town. I told him the night before, I'm going to be at the gym down the street. I'll be back before you leave, but make sure you get yourself up, which I think is completely appropriate, age appropriate. He's calling me to let me know he's up. But of course, I think something's <laughs> wrong. So, you know, everyone does this to right. pause. Hi, Noah. Hi, I'm up. Okay, thanks. I'll be there. I'll be, oh, like breathing heavily. I'll Next be, time the instructions are only minutes. call me in an emergency. Yeah. Or just text. He always texts me. Just this morning he calls. But I was glad he got himself up. Yes. I got home in time to um, help get him off to school. And I was very nice and drove him to the bus stop because black ice. Right. Um, but anyway, how was your run? How were your runs this week? Good. I'm planning a little bit around uh, our weekend, which we have a busy weekend coming up. And we actually have our uh, our Lululemon group run. So that will cut into my weekend a little bit along with some family obligations. So I did, again, a Thursday long-ish run this morning. I also was teaching a class. So like we talked about last week, I cut off a couple miles 
that I normally would have done. But uh, in my head, I was thinking, I did thir- about 13 miles this morning. And in my head, I thought, well, that's pretty short. I don't need to bring any nutrition with me. And I realized at about mile 10 that I should have brought my nutrition with me, that even though it was quote unquote only 13 miles, at any time I run over about an hour and a half that I really need to work on my fueling. And, and now is the time to start working on fueling strategies for Boston and starting to build my tolerance and try different things. And uh, so at about mile 10, I started feeling that little bit of sluggish feeling and I realized, oh, I didn't bring any nutrition with me. And even though I wasn't doing a 15, 16, 17 mile long run, I probably needed it. So that was something I, I learned learned this morning. What caused you to not bring nutrition? Did you forget or were you kind of thinking of the run as not as long because you had cut it short because of your cycling class? Yeah, I didn't think of it as that mm-hmm. long. I thought, well, I'm just going out. I, I'll, I'm not going to run 15 or 16 today. I'll run about, you know, about 13 miles and see what I can fit in in about two hours. And it just didn't didn't feel like a long run to me. You know, when you plan for a long run, you think, okay, I'm going to get my gear ready. I've got all my nutrition ready. And I thought, all right, I'm just going out to get in my, get in my miles today. And, and we do really need that nutrition and it's not too early to start practicing for Boston and for marathon day and race day. So that's something I'll make sure I correct next time. Yeah. And we're going to talk a lot more about that later coming up on the podcast is our go-to nutrition nutritionist and dietitian, Amy Goldsmith. And she's going to be a guest on the podcast and we'll talk more about that. And I'm sure Amy would not have approved of, of what happened today, yeah, but she would have, I had her voice in my head saying, <laughs> practice early, practice often, and make sure you're fueling mm-hmm. approximately every 30 minutes or so. And I was an hour and a half into the run thinking, oh, I could have, I should have, and I could have stopped. Yeah, there mm-hmm. are grocery stores along the way. I could have, could have stopped, but I thought I'll just get home and make it home. And I, when I got home, I had a good, some protein. I had, I, I refueled and I had eaten before I went out. Okay. I had enough time this morning. And that's what, that's another reason I didn't really think about it is that mm-hmm. I had peanut butter and jelly this morning, which is one of my, my pre-run meals that I like to have. Uh, oatmeal is another one, mm-hmm. but I had peanut butter and jelly and I was satiated mm-hmm. from the peanut butter and I didn't really think that mm-hmm. I would need something along the run. So lesson learned. And uh, you know, we've been reading our, our book uh, for our upcoming book club, Diet Cult by Matt Fitzgerald. And we have our book discussion coming up next month. So that's also running through my head and thinking about nutrition. Um, yeah, since you brought it up, we actually do once a year a Read Farther and Faster book club. And um, it's great. Last year, we did the book Beyond Grit, where we talked about mental aspects of sport. And this year's book club is going to be on Sunday, February 3rd in Rockville, Maryland. So anyone listening who would like to join, it's only $20. And we're going to discuss the book Diet Colts with a registered dietitian. And um, we are super excited to have her expertise. And you don't even have to read the book if you don't want. Yeah. You can buy the book. You yeah. can skim through it. But I think having a dietitian there to answer our questions, there are a lot of there's a lot of confusing, confusing information out there about about nutrition and different conflicting ideas and diets and approaches. And I think it'll be really helpful to have her there to to discuss uh, nutrition, answer our questions. Yeah. So if anyone's interested, there still are some spots available. It will fill up because we we can't have a huge book club, but we do have some remaining spots. And the sign up is the link to the sign up is on our website, or you can find it on our Facebook page as well. And um, again, it's Sunday, February third. So okay. So what did you eat after your run? 
I came home and I had some leftover chicken from last night. I had some fruit and I had some chocolate because I always have chocolate in the house. You know, that's my, yeah. my, my weakness is my sweet tooth. So I did. I had leftover chicken and some blackberries and some grapes and then I had some chocolate and then I had to go teach a class. So that was mm-hmm. the other, I had to go back out and teach a class and then I came home and I ate more. Great. So I've been eating all morning. Great. So you really fueled with some protein and carbs and, and some flavonoids from that chocolate. Yes. Nice work. <laughs> Delicious. Nice work. So yeah, so you did your long run today. Um, I really wanted to do another Thursday long run, but as we talked about earlier, too much black ice. So I'm going to attempt to do mine Saturday morning before our Lululemon run. Our Lululemon run is taking place in Gaithersburg at the new Lululemon. It's at 9 a.m. It's free. And um, it should be a really nice event. It was last time as well. And they have this awesome um, coffee growler in the store. Cold so, brew. Cold, cold brew. brew. It's, What's it called? <laughs> it's, it's like, it, looks like a, it looks like a beer tap. tap. It's like, yeah, tap. But it's, it's on tap. Coffee. Cold brew on tap. Such a nice store. Great people. We are Lululemon ambassadors for the store. We are so excited to be in that role. And as a result, we get to lead group runs once a month. So anyone's listening and wants to come, we'd love to see you. It'll be before the next round of weather comes in. So get your <laughs> run in before the next round of freezing precipitation. Do you feel like we're like meteorologists? Like, I, I feel like we feel talk like about weather I should weather have been so a meteorologist much. because I'm constantly <laughs> analyzing, not only here, but before you came here, before we started yeah. recording this, I was actually looking up the weather forecast for Chicago because we have runners in Chicago mm-hmm. who are trying to plan their weekend accordingly. And I had to see what their weather looked like to move their runs around and give them some recommendations for options because we're often doing this where we're running on a Thursday or a Friday, doing our long run on a Thursday or a Friday because weather is going to play a factor over the weekend. So yeah, I, I can't wait for spring. Yeah, we're far away though. This is the hard part of training. I feel like every winter um, between mid-January and mid-February. March. I mean, okay, March, March is tough too, but I feel like once you hit mid-February, you can kind of say, all right, spring is sort of around the corner. Um, and then March hits and you're asking where's spring, but then by that point in March, you've got about close enough. It's close. Yeah, it's close enough. You've got about four to six weeks until Boston. So you, you're definitely running with a lot more purpose, but when the race is far away and you're, you're getting up at what we like to say, Oh, dark 30 and, and trying to run your runs and do your workouts. It's, it's tough. This is a tough month. So like we talked about last week, my, my attitude this season is to embrace that tough because that's going to serve us well on race day. So, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's just one of those things I don't, Oh, and I wanted to talk about last week. Um, we, we recorded our podcast before our long run. So I did run through that win last Thursday morning. That was really rough, but I kept thinking about what we had talked about and you know what? It wasn't as bad as I thought. I put one of those balaclava, not to be confused with baklava. Baklava. (laughs) We did that once on a, on a, um, media segment. We said baklava instead of Balaclava, and you know, baklava is what you eat. Balaclava is what you wear. But we never shut down. Um, so, in any case, I, I I broke that out, and that was actually super helpful to have around my um, cheeks and um, nose and mouth. And you can kind of breathe through it. You do look like a, a burglar. Yeah, but I remember it works. when I also ran that day, and I remembered what you said. And I also thought of something else that somebody once told me when dealing with difficult people who are angry at you or mad, uh, absorb the body blow. 
So that means basically don't fight against them because if you fight against them, they're going to fight back harder. You absorb the body blow. You say, I understand what you're saying. I get it. I apologize or whatever you need to say to, 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 to make things better in the moment because they're angry and they're fighting against you. And I kept thinking, absorb the body blow. When the wind is blowing at you, don't fight against it because that wastes energy. Absorb the body blow. Slow it down. Ease up. Eventually what's blowing in your face is going to be a tailwind. And so that's what I kept thinking is absorb the body blow. Just take it relax, don't waste energy fighting it. And eventually when I turn around and come back, it was nice to have that tailwind. I love that. I'm going to remember that. Absorb the the body body blow. blow. Right. That has to do with difficult people when they're angry at you. Instead of fighting back, take it in, absorb it, say, okay, yes, I, I hear what you're saying. And but the same thing when you're working out, when you're running, and I tell my cycle classes mm-hmm. this a lot, when we're trying to work hard, I said, instead of trying hard, try easy. Because when we try hard, we tense up, we tense our faces, we tense our shoulders, we try hard and everything tenses and we waste a lot of energy. When we try easy, we relax into it and we let our bodies do the work and we become more efficient. So that's what I was thinking in those windy runs is absorb the body blow, try easy, just take it, take it as it comes. I love that. And I think your point to trying easy, it's particularly useful with intervals because sometimes when you go, when you, when you look at a workout on paper, um, and I'm talking about speed work and tempo work and you see those numbers and you kind of think, I don't know if I can do this. So you start your first interval and you push it. It's like if you kind of harder, flow, right? Yeah. yeah you relax just your shoulders. Into it. Relax into it. Relax. Yeah, yeah. Relax your shoulders. Use your best form and try not to tense up. So I think, I think that's a great that, that's, that's a great way to, in a very yeah. mindful way to think about your running. Try easy, absorb the body blow. So a shift for a second, I, we, going back to this, you had asked me what I do to sort of distract myself on a treadmill and I said podcast. This is probably a good time. What are some of your go-to podcasts? What do you listen to? I listen to the daily every day. I really like the daily. Mm-hmm. It's short. It's, it's, it's for me very informative. Gives me a lot of different viewpoints. I loved, which I finished Serial. I like the first so season and the, the the third season. So those are two of my favorites. Uh, and then I just look for other, I like running related. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you'll send me a podcast and say, oh, this one was a good one. Listen to it. So I just add it to my list to listen to. So those are, those are mine. And I often look at other people, what other people are recommending. And I just add that to my, to my list Okay, in the queue. I like those. I, I really listen to all of those too. So that's yeah. funny. Um, I also listen to podcasts a lot. Um, on the train or in my car when my when I'm alone in my car, not yeah. when my kids are in the car. Yeah, I sometimes listen to some with them that are appropriate. Yeah, I think it's really helpful and educational mm-hmm. for them. So, and I make them listen to our podcast in the car. Do you really? I do. I oh, I love on. that. That's hilarious. I do. I, I, well, I ask them for their opinion. I don't like to listen to them so much. It's hard to listen to ourselves, oh, but I will. Yeah. The first one we did, I, okay. as soon as we they got in the car, I said, here's our first podcast. And they had some good feedback and they liked it. So yes, I do make them listen That's to our podcast. That's super cute. So I'm going to have them listen to this one too, because I think our dietitian that we're going to speak to next, Amy Goldsmith, has a lot of really good tips on nutrition for not only for runners, but for in general and for athletes. My kids are on a cycling team and they're learning the importance of nutrition for their cycling as well. So I think she has a lot of really good tips. She'll have a lot of really good tips for not only for us as runners, but also for other athletes and just general nutrition. Amy is a great resource. That's why we always use her for our runners. And she speaks to groups as well. I mean, we've had her come to our school and speak to our PTA because she really is applicable to not just nutrition for athletes, but also for families. And she's a runner and a mom herself. So she really gets, I think, our 
our struggles and our challenges and, and understands the, the type of advice and nutrition, nutrition advice that we need. Absolutely. So, well, should we welcome Amy on the yeah, podcast? Yeah, looking forward to having her on. All right. We'll bring Amy up next. Hi, Amy Goldsmith. Thank you so much for joining us on the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. We're so excited to have you. Amy is a registered dietitian and the founder of Kindred Nutrition, which is located in Frederick, Maryland, right outside of D.C. She is a wealth of knowledge. She specializes in sports nutrition and eating disorders. But what we really love about Amy and why we continue to use her for our runners is that she has such a practical and simple approach to nutrition. She really doesn't believe in fad diets at all, but more importantly, she's able to break it down for all of us who aren't experts in nutrition so that we can fuel properly and make sure that we're getting all of the macro and micronutrients we need to be the best runners we can. So Lisa, why don't you go ahead with your first question for Amy? what can we do at this early point in training to set us up for success during our training cycle? Well, that's a really good question. I I always, as you know, say that as soon as runners start training for their race, we also want to start training for the nutrition. So we practice just as much for the nutrition, in my opinion, as um, all of your runners will do while they start their training process. So it's really getting a good idea on um, how you're, eating um, and kind of matching what you're eating with your performance. So the first initial goal that I may at somebody who's, who's never really paid to, uh, attention to nutrition, believe it or not, would be to kind of maybe keep a food diary and a performance log, believe it or not. It's a great idea. Yeah. And really kind of taking a look at what am I eating before I run? Um, am I eating during my run? Um, how am I recovering afterwards? And, and most importantly, how am I feeling? Um, am I feeling extremely fatigued? Do my legs feel like um, they are stuck in cement? Um, or do I feel like I could go forever? Um, and really kind of once you have an idea of where you're coming from and how you feel, you have a better idea of how to move forward. Um, and then kind of defining a little bit of a better plan. Um, it's very, very important for runners to understand that carbs are not um, the enemy. So your brain and your body is going to be fueled for those carbohydrates, and you need at least 50 to 60%, or sometimes even more, depending on the individual, of your total calories to be from carbohydrates, and then supporting the rest of your nutrition with the appropriate fat and protein. And do you have recommendations for types of carbs? Because obviously, you know, there are different types of carbs and maybe some different options. Uh, any, anything practical you can say that, you know, some examples of foods that might be good to incorporate into our diets. Yes. I mean, I obviously, as every dietitian will kind of um, blankly say, we, we prefer complex carbohydrates over refined carbohydrates. But I do need to say that's really an individualized because there are some people who um, are going to do a little bit better with more refined, depending on if they have any special diagnoses or GI issues. So, um, I, and I, let me just clarify when you're talking about complex carbohydrates versus refined carbohydrates, we're talking about eating during the training cycle. In other words, not while we're running, we're talking about eating all the time in yeah. terms of, okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Our general, Sorry. our general nutrition. Okay. <laughs> Um, so I really would focus on a lot of your carbohydrate intake to be from your fruits and vegetables. 
because you're also getting lots of very healthy micronutrients. So the vitamin C, the vitamin E, that's going to help with inflammation um, and recovery and that sort of thing. Um, and then more of your whole, um, whole wheat, higher fiber, um, complex carbohydrates. So a little bit more of going towards like whole wheat breads, um, whole wheat cereals, um, instead of like the white pasta and the white rice. Again, not that I'm saying that they're bad, um, uh, but just trying to get the most, um, macro and micronutrients out of the food that you can. Right. That's, we had a, we had a runner who asked us a question that wanted, that wanted us to relate to you. That's related to that. Um, he had a really successful race that where he qualified, finally qualified for Boston and had a, um, seven, more than a seven minute PR and beat Boston qualifying time. And he refined a lot of aspects of his training, but part of it was the nutrition and he followed Matt Fitzgerald's advice in the new rules of marathon and half marathon nutrition. And, um, which, which, which I guess, you know, it involved, uh, basically training his body to take in more carbs over his training over his run training. And he ended up taking in a, a large amount of carbs prior to the race. And then a total of 11 gel packs over the course of the race, but he had obviously had trained, this way. And, and the, the, um, the premise was that you can train your stomach to take in all the extra carbs, just the way you train your same way you train your body to run a long distance by slowly and gradually increasing, uh, your mileage, similarly increasing your carb load each week. Is that something that runners could start doing now? Is that, is that, what do you think about that? Is that something that we should start thinking about early in the training cycle? Absolutely. I mean, I always appreciate the referrals that, um, I receive from, both you and Julie, because you refer right away, like at the beginning of the cycle. And that sounds funny, but it gives me a little bit more room to really help to um, practice that nutrition cycle. And what I find a lot is that most of the runners that I work with are um, surprised when I tell them actually how many carbohydrates they need to eat. Um, and, and a lot of that is because they're, those endorphins take over, right? So if we're not eating enough and we're used to running, we don't necessarily, uh, we're not necessarily as in tune with not feeling good because we feel so great from those endorphins, <laughs> right? Um, so it's important to really understand, you know, how many carbohydrates you need. And then also understand like when you start eating that more food, it is going to, or potentially could affect your GI system, right? Yeah. I mean, we've all <laughs> had that happen. It's not pleasant. Um <laughs> So it is important to kind of tweak that nutrition and add very slowly, just as you would with your body to use um, for energy. So that's a great point. So Lisa's question was more specific to eating while you're racing. Really, it's not just about training your body to digest carbs while you're racing, but you're saying in addition, it's important at the beginning of a training cycle to train your body digest more carbs throughout, not just while you're specific run, but, or a race, but rather around your running so that you're processing those carbs efficiently, which will then fuel your running. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. And I think that's always confusing for some people who come see me because they say, well, should I eat differently on the days that I run versus the days that I don't? And I always say, no, we're assessing your nutrition and you should be eating the same way every day. And the reason is because you're constantly rebuilding those glycogen stores um, and, you know, and working on recovery and getting yourself ready for the next run. Okay. So let's say that um, I, I can't afford or I don't have the time to come see you 
but I have the time to, to arrange my schedule and do all of my running, but I just don't have the time to think about my nutrition. This is, this is a common, this is common sentiment we, we hear. Okay. Tell us what, what advice would you give that runner who says, well, I don't have time to log food. I don't have time to think about all my nutrition. I just eat. I'm going to, I don't have time to cook and I think I'm getting carbs. I think I'm carbs and micros. Do you have any sort of quick and dirty tricks to give to that very busy runner who just can't seem to wrap his or her head around thinking about getting enough nutrition? Do you have any um, tips to help guide people or quick guidelines? I think uh, a quick and easy guideline would to kind of um, look at how you're plating your food. And if you look at a particular plate, and half of that plate is fruits and vegetables, and a quarter is a whole grain, and the rest of the quarter is a protein, um, and you're consistent with that, I think it's a good visual to let you know that you're at least the right, um, you're starting to eat the right way. Um, another thing would be to really, really dial it in. If you don't have any of the other things, to so really pay attention to hunger and satiety. You know, if you're noticing that you're extremely hungry the day after a long run, that's a good um, indication that you're, you didn't eat enough the day prior or maybe you're dehydrated. Um, and I would say never go longer than five hours without eating. Okay. Well, um, question, but you, you brought it up now. Ask now. You said never go longer than five hours without eating. Of course, that excludes sleeping. But what are your thoughts about the very popular intermittent fasting where people will choose um, for the day to eat and the remainder of the day not? What are your Oh, I knew you were going to ask me this. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm very, we, we've known each other for years. I'm a very blunt person. I'm also evidence-based. So, you know... <clears throat> I always say that any of these popular diets, they come at us with a foundation that makes sense. So there is something about paleo, whole 30, intermittent that, that does make sense to me. But it doesn't make sense to me for somebody who's active to purposefully restrict their body from fuel. Um, and, and honestly, um, if we look at it from, from an evidence-based standpoint, like you are at risk of slowing your metabolism down. Um, because if you're not eating enough and you're not also not refueling yourself, you're breaking into your storage and that just tricks your brain to think that you're starving. When that happens, your body has to learn how to live off of less food. So even though the goal might be to intermittently fast and to have that quick weight loss in the long run, you're potentially damaging your metabolism. And that just doesn't make sense to me. Okay. Um, what about just along those same lines, we have uh, some runners who struggle with sleep and we have given the advice to um, plan your last meal a couple hours before you plan to go to sleep so that your body have time to digest the meal and, and ostensibly that would not interfere with sleep because studies show sometimes when you eat later and then you try to go right to sleep, um, your sleep is high quality if you a little bit early. Um, that being said, what is your for or who then has to run 12 hours later, for example? What what sort of things would you advise that runner 
to eat have to have a break between going to sleep but then they will have not eaten for quite some time and then they're heading out for their run the next day. I would recommend for that runner to eat something prior to their run about maybe 30 minutes prior have um, a, you know a carbohydrate source um, and that should be okay if it's an hour run or shorter um, if it's going to be a longer run I might actually I would ask them to potentially wake up even earlier which I know I would hate that advice for myself um, and have a larger meal um, it really would depend um, on the individual though how long the run was going to be what their pace was um, but I would most likely recommend for them to have at least a little something like a um, prior to that run okay that's great advice. What is that? What, what, can you give some examples of that little something? And, and so, if somebody doesn't like to, you know, doesn't, you know, a lot of us wake up in the morning and we think, oh, like, I, I don't want to eat first thing. Is there something, you know, a juice or fruit juice or something else? What, what do you recommend or what do you have when you, you know, wake up and you know you're going to need something before a run? I mean, I would say it's about like 15 to 30 grams of carbohydrates. So like a banana would do. Um, some people will do like a slice of bread with a little bit of peanut butter to kind of delay that digestion and use it a little bit longer. I'm a huge fan of those little apple applesauce um, squeezies. Yeah. Go-go squeeze. Yeah, I love those. Me too. Um, uh, you could even do like, if you could tolerate it, everybody's a little bit different. Um, you could even do like a quick six ounce yogurt. Um, a lot of it is going to deal with how you can, what you can tolerate. And unfortunately, a lot of that is the practice that you'll, uh, you'll start with as you're moving forward, um, you know, through the marathon training. Right. Well, along those lines too, um, since we sort of moved into uh, the eating before and during training runs and, and what to eat before, what, what, and Julie just touched on people who may not have eaten uh, for over 12 hours. Uh, there is some discussion and some talk about running in a fasted state and, and that uh, then tapping into your fat stores to burn burn fat more efficiently. What do you, what do you think about that? You know, doing that intentionally, not eating before you go out or, you know, fasting a little bit longer. It, what do you think about running on a, on a fasted, in a fasted state? So, um, there is, I will say there is a lot of research that actually does show that that is positive for the individual who eats more fat than they need to, and potentially, um, is insulin resistant. So there's positive research for mm -hmm. that. Um, but for the general public, uh, it's not really something that I recommend. There's really not, um, in, in my opinion, it's more important to fuel the need, your needs at that time so that your body can use um, that fuel. Um, and again, if you, you're burning fat too quickly, uh, you're going to create those ketones. And to me, that's more dangerous. Um, than uh, the benefit of burning into your fat, fat a little bit more um, to kind of lose weight. Great. That's helpful. Okay. okay. So let me just break that down a little bit. So you're saying for a, a seasoned runner, um, and I'm just going to go off of Matt, one of Matt Fitzgerald's uh, books highlighted this. There are opportunities to run in a fasted state. And I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's for some runners, it is okay to do that, but would be every third run would run with fuel. Is this, is this sound familiar to you? It sounds familiar to me. Um, I don't necessarily say that I agree with like kind of putting a, a training schedule to it. Uh -huh. uh, 
just because, you know, as with everything else from a nutrition perspective, you really can't give these um, recommendations out for an entire public without knowing what's going on. So if I knew um, that somebody was insulin resistant and really ate more fat than they needed, I could give uh, more uh, specific recommendations. But for the general public, I would say you're going to get more benefits from fueling yourself with the carbohydrates than you would from planning to run, um, you know, every couple of days um, to increase the efficiency of the fat um, breakdown. Does that make sense? So that's back to the training your system to to handle the carbohydrates. That's what you're, yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. and that I makes think sense. it's really individualized. Absolutely. And I um, appreciate that because it is really hard to to decide for each runner what is best. So knowing that you take the time to look at each runner's makeup, determine which, which is best for each runner helps them achieve their potential. So that's why it's really great to, to know or have a dietitian as part of your training. And it, it may take a little extra time to get in and see one, but for those listening, it, it really is something that, that can provide a great, not only resource generally, but can really help your running. Um, Amy, I know I'm, I'm getting a little off topic, but it, there's a point to this. I know you also do, um, the metabolic rate testing. And can you talk a little bit about that and what a lot of diets with that? Yes, I love that. Um, I actually had three of them earlier this morning. Uh, it's a very, very cool um, diagnostic testing, I would say. Um, we use the MetaCheck, which is um, through CORE, K-O-R systems. Um, and what it does is it's a machine where that you breathe in And it's able to measure the humidity, the oxygen, and the um, rate of your breath and tell you within 47 calories what that resting metabolic rate is. So you get a calorie number that tells you, okay, this is how many calories you burn at rest. It's such a great tool. Okay. And so if someone doesn't live near you, how would you be able to find um, a dietitian type of testing? And if someone owns one of those machines, to do the proper testing, do they need to be a dietitian? So I do know that there are um, some exercise scientists and there's some uh, personal trainers who do purchase um, and utilize uh, that machine, the machine. And I think um, it makes sense that they kind of, if all they're doing is handing that number to the actual client, but to really dig deep into what does that resting um, number mean and how do we take a look at that when we're looking at activity and anabolism and catabolism? I know I'm using some words there. I am biased and really feel that a dietitian needs to kind of really explain that process a little bit more. Um, but I do think it's beneficial if you have a chance to do it, get it done, look at what the results are. And if it's something that you wanted to talk um, with a dietitian about further, it's something great to bring to your first assessment with a dietitian. Amy, how do you use that with um, marathon runners specifically? How does that tie into marathon training? So I actually, once I know what the rest, uh, resting metabolic rate is, I also, there's a, um, a number that's given to us within 75 calories that tell us how many calories you burn with moderate exercise in an hour. And so then I actually look at that number with the resting um, rate number and also the training 
um, program. So based off of how long you're going to be training, what your pace is, um, and that sort of thing, I can say, okay, as we increase those long runs, we're going to need to increase the calories by this much. This is how we're going to refuel. Right. Because you tell us a lot of times, oftentimes what you see with runners is that they're underfueling. Yeah. We think we're eating a lot, but we're really underfueling because we don't, we, I guess, underestimate how much we are actually burning per day. Absolutely. Great. That sounds helpful. Great. Um, Amy, with respect to fueling during running, do you have any preferred types of fuel? Um, the common brands that we and many of our runners use include Honey Stingers, Argels. Um, some of our runners use UCAN, um, which is spelled U-C-A-N-N, which is a, more of a drink than an actual chew or gel. Right. Do you have references um, based on your experience as to uh, fueling options? You know, I, I actually really like all of those products that you um, mentioned. Most of the products that you mentioned, they do do um, research on their, on their end, like lots of R&D. Uh, I would say the pain in the neck about those products is, again, I know I sound like a broken record, but they're individualized. Like, so for example, I know for some reason, well, I think I know the reason I can't really tolerate um, goose, but I can tolerate the hammer gels and most, and it's probably because of the ingredients. Um, so mm-hmm. I feel it's really important to, to try because lots of times I know like I'm somebody like when somebody tells me something's working for them, I'm like, oh, let me try it, you know? Um so I think trying a bunch of different um, products, but then also not feeling like you always have to purchase those products and use it. You can use lots of natural um, foods. So if raisins work for you, like that's something that you could potentially takes a little bit more planning, but you could potentially put in a little baggie and pocket those and eat them as you run. Um, you could use like, I mean, fig newtons. I know that it might not be, um, it might not sound like the healthiest thing to people right now, but it's, uh, something quick that you'd be able to eat those applesauce, little squeezies that I said, that I said, honey, believe it or not, um, all natural fruit snacks. So I think that, um, it's all about being like a little bit creative, but most, most importantly, figuring out what your stomach can handle. Right. Which is why we do that during training. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> right. Always practice. Never try something new on race day. Oh, God. Don't do that. <laughs> Absolutely. So moving on to race day, um, ostensibly we've practiced our fueling and we've taken in our nutrition during our training runs and we've done a practice breakfast before our race. These are all things we tell our runners to do regularly. Yes. Um, us through what you think is is an optimal uh racing nutrition plan for the general public of the marathon distance okay for the marathon yeah meaning like timing of uh, meals and that sort of thing like yes yes so let's say boston starts at 10 a.m um what what would you recommend for a typical boston runner morning of the marathon before the race starts and then during the race or even back it up, you know, the dinner the night before, start or the day before, you know, what do you, what would you say that maybe the 24 hours before the race? Okay. So 24 hours before the race, really, really, really important to pay attention to that hydration still, of course. Right. Um, but also you're going to kind of, you're not going to go off your nutrition plan, even though you may want to, because tapering is such a weird week, right? Um, you're going to eat the same way. And the reason, even though you're not running those long lengths, but it's because you really want to make sure 
that your body is recovered and that um, you have all the fuel that you need. The night before you're going to, or the day before you're going to have that, the, the regular meals that you normally would, the, the breakfast, like again, visualize that plate. So half of it being fruits and vegetables, a quarter of it being that um, whole carbohydrate, the other quarter of it being the protein, having your breakfast, your lunch, your dinner and snacks as you usually would. Um, you don't have to eat anything fancy. I know back in the day, and some people may disagree with me about this, we used to really focus on carb loading. And I remember like when I did track in high school, you know, we would have like a spaghetti party the night before. Um, and that's not something that you have to stay away from. But if you're eating right during your whole entire training period, um, you don't necessarily have to say, okay, I'm going to eat more carbs than I usually would. So again, it will be portioning out that plate just as you would. I normally... I would say try not to do really high fiber just if you're not somebody who does it because we don't want you to get the running trots. So that's not fun. Um, <laughs> no. And I would say try to still do like the lean protein and don't add any more fats than you would because that really can um, affect the GI system. Uh, that is one of the benefits of Boston being at 10 o'clock because I think like you do have a little bit more, I don't know, you, you potentially could have more time in the morning to eat that full breakfast. So really trying to make sure that you have that full breakfast um, two hours prior, and then 30 minutes before that race, really looking again at that hydration, having that um, quick carbohydrate source, and then and then moving through that plan as you would have with your um, training. So having something every 30 to 45 minutes, some people will even eat a little bit more than that, um, and really paying attention to hydration, but also electrolytes. Um, Boston's tricky. There's been really, really hot uh, races and there's been really, really cold races. So yes, absolutely. And one thing that um, I also add is I really how you, we, we do this as well about how much nutrition you take in per mile. It's minutes because everyone runs a different pace. So you want to, you want to do it by time, not I take my nutrition at mile four, eight, 12, whatever it's time. Yeah. Um, because your yep. body's not going to know how many miles you ran. It's how much time you're and your digestive system needs that fuel. You're 100% correct about that. And I always like that you guys have adapted that. It's exactly the way that you should plan. And, um, let's talk for a minute about people who struggle with eating a lot before, um, the morning of a race, they're nervous and it's, it's, it's hard to get down a lot of food, but can you explain why it's important to have a full breakfast before you start running? And then, um, your thoughts on when to take in nutrition during the race. So it's important because, you know, on a, on a typical day, if we're not actually exercising right after we eat, it takes us longer to actually burn or use that fuel, right? So lots of times we can eat breakfast. We may not burn through it for a couple of hours. Everybody's different. Um, but as soon as you start running, and especially if you have more nerves, you know, you're, you're burning through that fuel. So you don't want to start the race by not eating enough and already being in a negative um kind of uh, pool, right? Like I always think of your fuel during a race as a, as a gas tank. So you want that gas tank to be at the highest full, like you can't fit any more fuel in there. Um, think about it. If you start in that gas tank at a half or three quarters, you're burning through that quickly. And then you're playing catch up. 
uh, much like pain uh, medication, right? Like it's really, really hard to catch up once you've um, fallen through with that consistency. I think that's a good point. I think that's something that um, we as runners and a lot of our runners don't quite understand is um, race day is a very different day than, than training where you might have been able to get away with not eating breakfast before a training run when you're not, don't have the nerves and you're also not running race pace for the entire race. Right. It's really important to run, to, to, to have that fuel in you and stay fueled consistently. And that's actually another question we had from one of our runners who, who um, wanted to know, uh, do you wait an hour into the race to start fueling or do you fuel from the time the gun goes off? What, what, you know, is there any science behind that? What do you recommend? You know, we have a lot of runners who like to take a quick goo before right before the gun goes off. And some we have wait until 30 minutes into the race, but is there any benefit to starting right from the gun or waiting a little while? I think waiting an hour is too long just because um, you're going to have already used some of that fuel and then you're potentially in that catch up mode, right? So I would say it all depends on what are you doing. So if you have breakfast two hours prior to the race and you're not having anything, you know, about 30 minutes before, there is a benefit to having that quick goo right when the, um, right when the um, race starts. Um, but I think if you're somebody who has something like 30 minutes before, as you're walking through, you're taking some time, you're having some fuel, then you would start that plan. And if you're somebody who eats every 30 minutes, it's, you know, okay, time starts now. My next um, fuel is going to be 30 minutes from now. Um, and that's something, again, like you practice, that you're going to practice. And that will depend on a lot of it depends on how you tolerate what you're eating. Right. And that's going to be very individual too. Yes. But in general, that regular not waiting too long, not getting behind, behind the, behind the ball, basically on, yes. on your, cause it's hard to, you can't catch up. Once you hit that wall, you've hit the wall. You can't oh. go back and catch up. So really, and, and also, can you talk a little bit about is, uh, you know, I've always thought or at least understood, or at least from my own experiences that my body digests food better earlier in the race when my digestive system is still working better than whereas later in the race, it's really hard to, first of all, I don't feel like it. Second of all, it hurts my, you know, gives me more GI, it tends to give me more GI right. issues. So is it true that we can absorb those, those nutrients and that those calories earlier on in the race better? Well, if you think about it, your body is essentially when you're starting, isn't working as hard, right? It's not, I mean, not necessarily that it's not working so hard, but you still have that the energy reserves for your brain to say to your body, okay, focus on everything that it needs to do right now to get us through this. Like as you move through that race, um, you potentially um, are starting to get behind in calories. You're um, feeling the fatigue in your muscles. You're dehydrated. So your brain kind of puts more emphasis on paying attention to what uh, is necessary to keep you going. So Right, your vital organs, like yes. your heart and your lungs. And, yes, yes. Right, yes. not your digestive system. So it's Absolutely. not, you're not getting as much, your digestive system doesn't work as well. Right, right. right. Yeah, that makes sense. About um, hydration, I know that back in the day it was drink, 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 and there it's, it's kind of reversed itself where now it's drink to thirst. Mm -hmm. And, um, what are your thoughts about during the race? Of course you want to take some Gatorade or whatever the electrolyte drink that's when it's offered, um, studies that even just swishing, uh, an electrolyte drink out can give hydration benefits versus chugging down a cup. If you just can't stomach that, 
What are your thoughts about hydration and how often do you recommend hydrating during a race, during a marathon? So hydration uh, is, is extremely important. I personally think there, I've read research with this and then I would say with the majority of my clients, I actually, although fuel is extremely, extremely important, I feel that people bonk quicker from being dehydrated uh, just because it's so hard for um, people to move through uh, with the dehydration symptoms. Um, but it's important to, I would say, right an hour before that race, really looking at having at least seven to 10 ounces and believe it or not, the, the rule of thumb is to think about having about three to four ounces every um, 15 minutes. But again, that's very individualized. There's some people where that might be too much. Um, there's some people where that might be too little. So we, all, we always recommend doing a sweat test prior um, when you're training, and that can give, really give you a good idea. Okay, how am I using this water? Am I losing a lot of weight when I'm exercising? How do I replete? Um, there is evidence that shows that once your electrolytes are depleted too much, you can drink all the water in the world, but you're not going to absorb it. Um, so really understanding um, the fuel that you're eating and what electrolytes that's providing, plus the hydration that you're getting and what electrolytes that's providing is important. How, how, do, how, would, you say, uh, how would you say that um, then electrolyte tabs can play a role with and during your race strategy, we, I, I know I personally start taking an electrolyte tab pretty much once an hour when I'm racing. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you and think what you're just for clarification your... for people listening, you mean, um, endurolites or salt tabs, right? Salt tab, yeah. endurolites. It's, it's, you know, it has salt, but also has potassium, has, uh, uh, calcium has all of our electrolytes. Right. Right. Um, I think it's important for a good um, percentage of the population. I think especially if you're somebody who visibly sweats a lot. Like, for example, I mean, I sweat a lot. Every single time I look in the mirror after I work out, <laughs> I'm, like, shocked at what I see. Um, <laughs> all, the, all the salt around the yeah. salt that you're caking yeah. around. Yeah. Yeah, especially if you feel it on your face or you see that you are somebody who has such a high sweat rate and you're losing those electrolytes, so it's important. But, again, it's something that you want to – um, trial and error with, because if you do, um, the injury lights or, or those types of things, plus then you use like a goo that has a lot that has some electrolytes, right. um, um, sugar, that could be a disaster for your stomach. So it's definitely something to practice. Right. Yeah. And it's also, uh, mentioning that there are a lot of different electrolyte tablet products out there. Some are more just straight salt yes. where others have other electrolytes, in addition to the salt, it's important to look at the bottle before you purchase electrolyte tabs. And generally, I mean, Lisa and I both take one hour. We take one at the very start of the race and then one each hour. And um, we really like salt stick or endurolites. They're, they're pretty, the ingredients are pretty simple. And yeah. knock on wood, so had issues with having too many electrolytes when we add that component into our fueling plan for a race. Right. Good. But along those lines, similarly, we recommend with our runners, if they're taking nutrition, whether it's goo or chews or whatever they're taking, and if they're taking Gatorade or in uh, any uh, electrolyte beverage on the course, that they alternate so that they're not taking a double hit of the yes. electrolyte beverage that has sugars in it and yes. their nutrition. And so we usually tell them to alternate. If you're taking your nutrition, grab water at the next water stop. And then at the next water stop, you can grab, if you've practiced with it in training and uh, everything, but if you've practiced with it, then at the next 
hydration stop, then you can grab a cup of whatever, whatever high, uh, electrolyte drink they have on the course. Yes. That's the best recommendation. I totally agree. Good. Yeah. Cause I've, I've made the mistake of doing both before and that, that can quickly lead oh to GI distress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we had another question from one of our runners and I think this is a common question that Benny had and that is, um, whenever I, my miles seem to increase and I marathon train, I tend to gain, am I gaining weight or is, or how can I tell if that's weight, water or muscle? And it, should I be adjusting my nutrition? Now I it's an individualized question, but it is a common sentiment among people training for marathons that they feel that they gain weight during their training. Yes. And it's a very common um, question that we receive here in the office as well. And, you know, one of the things that I tell, it's not the most fun thing for um, my clients to hear, but one of the things that I um, tell them is it's great to weigh yourself as you're moving through the training, but we almost have to um, not think of that number as so, as so black and white, right? Unless we're doing something like a sweat test, okay? Like we really Mm want to, you know, but really there's so many changes as you're training. I mean, you have inflammation that's going on, um, you know, after long runs. You have, sometimes you might have water retention because you were a little bit more dehydrated. Sometimes you're dehydrated. Maybe, believe it or not, like your digestion system has changed and you, you know, your bowel movements are taking a little bit longer. <laughs> so, you know, gross, but um, there's so many things to take into consideration. So when you see that number change on the scale, I don't think that it's fair to any of us to say, oh my gosh, I'm gaining weight. That it's exactly, I'm increasing my fat-free mass, you know, and this is all kind of, um, you know, uh, causing a negative effect, I think we just need to be realistic and say, huh, that's interesting. Let's look at what the trends are here. You know, ideally you are having some body composition changes by the end of your training and perhaps you have increased muscle that's going to increase your weight. Um, so that's usually what, how I explain it to my clients. Love it. That's a great explanation. So lastly, uh, if you could just talk for a few minutes, can you talk to us? And this is a, a little bit unrelated to marathon training, but I think because we're talking to you in January, new year, new goals, many diets, many food, food advertisements out there from many companies. Can you talk a little bit about um, why it's important to seek, seek information from qualified individuals and sort of about the, the importance of qualifications when talking nutrition? Uh, my favorite topic to talk about. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, this time of, time of year is, it's really confusing for a lot of people. And I think that, um, you know, most people who do give recommendations who aren't licensed, it's not that they um, get into, you know, the nutrition um, or weight loss business because they're malicious. It's because they really want to help. But I think, We all have to understand that just because something didn't work um, or or did work for you, it doesn't mean it's the right approach to take for somebody else. I mean, everybody's body is individual. Everybody's got a different, everybody's got different comorbidities and family histories. Um, So you really want to look for people who are licensed and registered in their profession. Um, There are some people who absolutely disagree with this. I'll tell you, I, I work out in CrossFit and they're completely against this. Um, but I'm not, I, I think they might be against it cause they don't really understand it. I mean, 
in all actuality, there's licensing and registration boards just to make sure that people are completing their continuing education, that they are evidence-based, that they're following a code of ethics. Um, so from my opinion, it's, it's really important to um, look for those types of things. Yeah, I think it's important that anybody just really do their research on any any professional they're consulting with, you know, just like running coaches, we'd want them to make sure they're working with running coaches who are experienced and have the requisite knowledge and education and are staying on top of developments. So it's the same thing if you'd go to a doctor or any other professional. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Amy, thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. You provided a wealth of information for runners, whether they're for the Boston Marathon or something else, we know that out there listening will find a great nugget of information in their training. And we can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to do this. Can you tell our listeners how to find you? Sure. Um, you all can uh, find me on my website, which is www.kindrenutrition.com. And also on Instagram, I'm kindrenutrition underscore real as an r-e-e-l um and through facebook we are kindred nutrition okay we'll put that all in the show notes as well and do you offer consultations to people who do not live in our area yes we can actually do virtual health coaching so um, from a licensure perspective we actually cannot provide medical nutrition therapy from state to state lines but we can give you coaching on how to get started. And if we feel like medical nutrition therapy needs to be um, integrated, we will help you find somebody who's licensed in your state. Okay, great. Well, Amy, thank you so much. And uh, thank you everyone for listening today. Thank you. Have a great Thanks, day. Thanks, Amy. Take care. Bye.